Husker Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco Realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Hi, I'm Matt Fuller, broker of record with Jackson Fuller Real Estate. My guest today is Brett Gladstone of Goldstein, Gelman, Melbostat, Harris, and McSparren, a San Francisco law firm. Brett has been a San Francisco real estate attorney for 36 years and regularly writes and lectures on local real estate laws and issues, including condominium law, and advises his clients on land development and real estate transactions throughout the Bay Area. So welcome to the show, Mr. Gladstone. Thank you, Matt. Happy New Year. Happy New Year as well. Here's looking at 2021. Uh, so you have been doing San Francisco real estate and real estate law for a very long time, and we are so fortunate to have you on the air today to speak with us about a very specific law, which is intermediate occupancy law. Um, so maybe before we even get started about uh, how this law came to be, what is an intermediate occupancy law? Thanks, Matt. It's actually called Intermediate Length Occupancy Law, and I'll abbreviate it as ILO. That's what the industry calls it. And what it says is that um, starting in a couple of years, only a thousand units in the city will be allowed to be rented between 30 days and one year. Uh, And it affects um, four kinds of buildings. Uh, First of all, buildings that are one to three units which can't have these at all. If they have them today, they have to stop. Um, then it affects buildings of four to nine units, and the ILOs are allowed there as long as the number of ILOs in the building does not exceed 25% of the units in the building. Then there's a category of buildings, 10 units or more, and ILOs are only allowed there if the planning commission gives approval and the planning commission has a lot of discretion and the planning commission to say yes, asks you to show the following three or four things. Uh, first of all, that at the time you seek approval from the commission, there's only a thousand or less uh, units that are ILOs at that moment. You also have to show that only 20% of the units in your building will be ILOs you have to show that at least two thirds of all ILOs at the time are downtown. And you have to show that less than one third of the ILOs at the time you seek permission are in geographic areas of displacement. And they're, they're given um, the locations of those areas of, of displacement in recent years are indicated. We can go into which areas they are later, but that is essentially the law. And one more thing if you have a building that has a notice of violation against it for any reason, you're disqualified from being uh, from having ILOs in your building. And you were also mentioning there's the fourth category of building. Well, the fourth is the building that has NOVs. Okay. So, so the uh, first three categories are distinguished by the number of units. And the fourth category is a building uh with NOVs, notices of violation, in which case you have no chance of having LLO, ILOs. And does the date of construction of the building matter at all, or is it everything that's ever been built in San Francisco? It's everything that ever has been built. 
there's one rule based on a date. Any buildings built after June 20 or June 15th of 2020 cannot have ILOs at all. So from here on, new buildings cannot have ILOs. Gotcha. And in terms of unit counts, and maybe this hasn't been litigated yet, are unwarranted units units for the purposes of ILOs? That's a good question. The ordinance does not say that. But other ordinances in the city, for example, the ordinance called um, COPA, which gives nonprofits the right to um, buy buildings of three or more units, in that rule, a non-legal unit doesn't count toward being one of the three units for the purpose of deciding whether the building is three or more units and thus subject to COPA, which gives the nonprofits the right to offer uh, to purchase prior to the market in general. Yes. So hopefully it'll be interpreted that way on this law. (laughs) I would hope so. Um, If you're listening to this, you're like, wow, this sounds like a a really complicated law. Um, How did this law come to be? Why do we need it? Or why did I, not that you can speak for the board of supervisors, but what can you tell us about how it kind of came to be and and the problem that it's attempting to solve? Sure. Well, for many years, progressives in the city have been considering going to the Board of Supervisors to regulate the number of furnished rentals that are short-term with the idea that those units are taking away housing from those who have a housing need and can't afford market rate housing. But what really was the straw that broke the camel's back was the a project known as 2100 Market Street, in which the developer, Brian Spears, put up, uh, I think, about 60 units. And without telling the city he was doing so, he master-leased all rental units to a company called Sonder. And that, of course, was a good deal for him because it means he never had to worry about vacancies, that Sonder would take the risk that there were vacancies and he'd get one steady check from Sonder every month. Um, and people noticed that Sonder was moving in furnishings and obviously there were, all of them were going to be furnished units with the exception of eight units that are below market, which Sonder did not lease. So, um, the city planning department was made aware of it and the board of supervisors were made aware of it and they, felt this wasn't the intent of the planning commission in in approving the project. However, in looking back to its approval, there was no um, provision that this could not happen. In fact, the laws did not prevent this from happening. So while many intended to uh, have Sonder cease its use of the building that way, um, the city could do nothing about it. Uh, Sonder and Mr. Brian Spear had found a loophole. It was perfectly legal. And then the Board of Supervisors decided we should do something about this by creating some legislation. And that's how it came about, Matt. So that is a a complicated story. Um, And actually, you know, to your point, 
um, intermediate length occupancy law rentals have been around in the city for a while. Like Sonder is not the first company and Brian Spears is, is not the first developer. Uh, but what was very different, as you pointed out, was this was a brand new building and it was 100% dedicated to what a, has now become termed the, the intermediate intermediate length uh, occupancy. So what does this law do then? Well, what this law means is that by June of 2022, if an owner of a building has not successfully obtained a permit to have an ILO unit, the ILO use must end. Now, question is, is the city going to go about and audit all the buildings to make sure it's ended for those buildings who have not gotten approvals for their ILOs? The answer is no. The planning department doesn't have an enforcement staff as big as it needs, and the board of supervisors is not funding one. So the planning department will act on a complaint basis, uh, which is actually the way most notices of violation are generated. Um it comes from complaints made by neighbors, former tenants, uh, or competitors. Um, there are fines for having an ILO unit after uh, June 2022, um, and that's effectively how it works. In the meantime, units can apply to be uh, ILOs um, by filing a building permit or an alteration permit to the building department which should be rooted to the planning department. And the permit will simply say that we seek approval for a short-term intermediate occupancy unit. And the amount of construction can be listed as a dollar. The permit's issuance simply changes the use from a market rate dwelling unit to an ILO. That's essentially the application. So... In true San Francisco fashion, you go to the building department to apply for the planning commission permit, right? Um, so if you've applied for this permit and it, it's granted, does that mean that you could no longer rent that unit as just a market rate long-term rental? Does it allow a unit to do that or does it restrict a unit to only that? Good question. Uh, the law says that um, you can... Um, go back to offering the unit for more than one year without losing the right to thereafter change it back to a rental of 30 days to one year. You can go back and forth. The only time when you would lose your right to use it for intermediate length rentals is if three years have gone by and you haven't once rented the unit as an ILO. But as long as you um, you you keep you 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 rent it on an ILO use once every three years, you don't abandon it, and you can go back and forth between being a non ILO and an ILO. Gotcha. So for uh, folks in San Francisco that want to do short term, kind of a la Airbnb rentals, the city has created the the short term rental registry that has a very specific process and reporting requirements. And then, you know, there are kind of other laws that affect property use in San Francisco that don't have nearly that level of uh, upfront reporting and auditing. Um, 
And it sounds like the enforcement of the ILO is more like the second and not so much like the creation of another short-term, in this case, intermediate-term uh, length rental registry. That's correct, Matt. Um, okay. While the planning department will keep a registry um, of what size buildings have what number of ILOs, the city is not hiring a new staff as they did for the Airbnb short-term rentals to to accept applications, review them, um, question them, um, and then register them. There was funding for that. Um, the Airbnb laws, it's called, had the funding t- to create a staff to go through the elaborate process of reviewing and accepting applications. In the case of the ILO law, it will be much simpler. One just files an alteration permit indicating a change of use of the unit to an ILO. It gets reviewed by planning and planning basically just registers it in their um, in, in their files so that it can keep track of several things, including whether at the time you apply, there has already been an approval of 1,000 of such units in the city. And I'm afraid to ask this question, um, but once we've counted up to the 1,000 uh, ILO units that the city will now allow, what's the process for actually taking something off of that list since we don't have proactive in enforcement how do you actually is is there a process to figure out if you know a thousand are actually still in use or is that just kind of we'll see how this goes i think i would put that in the category of we'll see how this goes because there's nothing in the ordinance telling the planning department um how it should count whether or not at a particular kind time, I should say, whether at a particular time, 1,000 ILOs exist. For example, people may choose to um, take an ILO and rent it for more than a year. Well, the question is, does it inform the planning department of that? And does the 1,000 suddenly become 999 when that occurs? These are interesting questions. And none of that has been resolved. So I guess if I'm a property, and then, you know, if we're looking at this and and we're thinking, you know, if you're looking at these unit restrictions, one to three units, none, 40, 49 units, less than 2.5 of them, 10 plus, you know, 20% max, it's very much about preserving kind of existing housing stock. Um, and my question is like, what if I've got a, a 10 plus unit building right now that I've been completely using for intermediate length occupancy? Just, you know, I didn't do a, a Sonder big dramatic thing. It's just how it happened over the years. Is Are these situations grandfathered in or is none of that allowed come 2022? That's a good question. None of these are grandfathered in. None... For example, if if an building owner wants to continue his uh, ILOs in a building of more than ten uh, after the date of June 2020, he cannot unless some or all of those ILOs have received an alteration permit to have their use officially changed to an ILO before June 2020. So, on the one hand, I'm kind of hearing that there's. A reasonable amount, but not a massive amount that has ever been on the radar to, to upset the, the housing policy makers of San Francisco. Um, but because of, you know, kind of 
what happened with Sonder, all of this is is now under the microscope. And I guess if I'm listening to this and I'm putting myself in the shoes of a property owner, you know, it sounds like it might be a catch-22 in terms of registering and kind of inadvertently getting stuck in this Byzantine city bureaucracy. And at the same time, I don't want to not comply with the law. So what are you advising clients other than to hire you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, First of all, statistically, as of February 2020, the city budget analysis stated that there were between 2,000 and 2,700 housing units in the city being used for ILOs. So if you assume that be correct, the 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 uh, approval of a thousand will basically cut in half or more the the existing number of um, of of rentals thirty days to a year that exist today. Uh, as for what I'm advising clients, um, I'm compelled by the ethical rules of the state bar to advise clients to follow the law and not to avoid the law. And that is my advice. But I will tell you that a lot of my clients, perhaps the majority, may may choose not to uh, uh, register and may continue on um, because the limit of 1,000 is problematic because one can get caught up in um, in the bureaucracy if, if the number of units is approaching 1,000 and the thousand cap is not um, well, 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 uh, well known at the moment. Um, you know there can be a lot of problems. Also, there's a big concern some of us have about having roommates and having relatives. What does the law say about whether or not you can rent short term to a relative while you're there or to a friend? And there are a lot of roommates situations. A lot of my clients will wonder about that. And all I can tell them is that it's a little bit unknown because the ordinance prohibits, quote, non-tenant uses, which is, quote, when a landlord is allowing the unit to be occupied by a person or entity who is not a tenant, unquote. And the word tenant is defined in our rent ordinance. So given the broad definition of rental units in our rent ordinance, this would appear to disallow use uh, of, of, a, of a dwelling by a property owner's family member or roommates unless the unit was registered as an ILO. Now, did the Board of Supervisors intend that? I rather doubt it, but the way they've written the law one can never be sure. And I think I would be getting a lot of calls on that subject matter. Yeah. And I think the the example you just gave there is a, a very good real world example of where uh, high level city housing policy about making housing available for, you know, long term residents um, intersects and comes right up against the traditional argument of as a private property owner, this is my private property. I have a bundle of rights that go with it. And you cannot take those rights away unnecessarily or unreasonably, which means anytime we have a housing law in San Francisco, we have the result of a lawsuit about policy versus 
property owner rights. Do you see this uh, headed for litigation? Well, Matt, I think if the law ends up in litigation, um, really depends on whether the largest housing um, trade associations in the city find this to be a great problem for their members. There's the small property owners of San Francisco. There's the Coalition for Better Housing representing large apartment building owners uh, and um, the San Francisco Apartment Association. Uh, there are about 2,000 to 2,700 um, ILOs in the city. They're not called ILOs. They've been around forever. Question is, are, are those owners active in those trade associations? How active are they and do they represent a lot of the members of those associations? I don't know. But if any of those associations find their a large portion of their membership affected, they have every incentive to try to go to court to, to overturn this. I don't know whether the courts will overturn it. I can tell you there's a lot of uncertainty and lack of definitions in the ordinance that perhaps only a court or an amendment to the law can correct, such as whether your roommates who rent for 30 to to, to 30 days to 12 months or your family members um, cause you to be in violation of the law. Um, as for whether or not the law itself violates the bundle of property rights that are constitutionally protected, I, I don't know. I think it'll uh, take further analysis by litigation attorneys to determine that. Um, but this is another example of how the Board of Supervisors uh, goes far in trying to regulate the market and sometimes uh, misses the mark over oversteps um, and creates laws that are hard to enforce. I think that uh, this is one of the most complex uh, laws that regulate real estate in the city, along with COPA and the rent control laws and their interaction will be the subject of a great deal of discussion among us real estate attorneys in the next couple of years. So um, that's the best I can answer your question. Yeah, no, that's a, a great answer and uh, to probably an unfair question. So as a property owner, um, what's kind of the most important takeaway that I should take away from listening to this? Or are there any really important points about this that I haven't asked you about yet that you wanted to mention? Well, you haven't asked about what areas of the city are considered areas of rapid gentrification from which these ILOs will be discouraged. Um, if you want me to list a few, I can do that. Um, I think we talked about how um, uh, there'll be a problem in determining when the magic number of 1,000 mag magic number of 1,000 ILOs in, in, in existence is reached. Um, and I think that it would behoove property owners to get in there first. Uh, getting in early means you won't have to deal with that issue. This will sort of be a race to the number 1,000. And I think property owners should want to get going earlier rather than later. Um, 
those are the takeaways. Um, so let's actually um, touch briefly kind of on that one in terms of gentrification and displacement, because you had talked about this with the category of the 10 plus unit buildings um, where they require planning approval commission and they're only going to get them if two thirds of the ILOs are in the downtown area and only one third of them. So roughly 330 units could be in areas that are defined as sensitive to displacement by the census roughly like how, what's and it sounds like they're trying to to very much keep them uh in kind of the central city downtown core where there is older existing housing stock correct um but what's is is that the goal here or kind of what's the geographic implications of all of this yeah that's the goal and here's how they're going about it the uc berkeley did a map and a study in recent years called the urban displacement project sensitive communities map and it, you can go on the web and point your cursor in various locations of San Francisco to see where they believe the map shows areas of great displacement. Wow. As you've heard, ILO legislation is complex and may have been rushed through without thought for some of the finer details. If you own property in San Francisco that you believe may be impacted by this legislation, I would encourage you to hire Mr. Gladstone and his firm to give you some of the best San Francisco legal real estate advice available. The website for his firm is g3mh.com, and that is the letter G, the number 3, the letter M, the letter H as in Harry, dot com. Or if you prefer, his office can be reached via telephone at 415-673-5600. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this podcast finds you in good spirits and good health. If you found this to be an enjoyable and useful time, I'd appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or leave us a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. Escrow Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Wow. Wow.